Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Taunted me and he smiled Said come and walk with me Come and walk one more mile Now for once in your life you're alone But you ain't got a dime There's no time for the phone Yeah, sometimes you just got to get a message to somebody. I don't think a fax machine is really the right idea in that particular situation. But you see our point. We're going to do a show about the fax machine today. And before I get the whole thing kind of officially rolling, I want to mention, I guess, essentially three things very quickly. One of them is that I got interested in this topic uh, listening to a British podcast I like called No Such Thing as a Fish, where they, well, never mind what it is, but they, they were mentioning the fact that there were fax machines before there were phones and phone lines, which seems pretty counterintuitive. And then they explain the whole thing, and Tsar Nicholas the the second had a fax machine, uh, St. Petersburg to, to Moscow, Moscow to St. Petersburg, we're out of toilet paper. But this is like the 19th century, <laughs> and he's got a fax machine. So I just thought that was fascinating. Filed it away, uh, kind of revived it uh, with my producers, uh, when there, when there's been some hue and cry recently about the fact that one of the problems, one of the things that may have slowed down the processing of data related to COVID-19 uh, is that some of the, particularly the more local and state public health departments were using fax machines. You know, when people say fax machines now, it's, it's, they don't say it in a good way for the most part. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I just want to quickly remind you about Commander Adama. Commander Adama, uh, is in Battlestar Galactica, and he's a little bit uh, of a technophobe uh, in the sense that he doesn't like to have everything networked. And so he's got, like, just phones with, like, you know, cords on them and stuff. <laughs> I was forgetting what the word for that was, actually. Phones with cords on them. But he's got all this stuff on his on his spaceship, on his Battlestar, because he's just doesn't dist- he doesn't like networking. And then it turns out the Cylons attack in the first episode, and they just destroy everything the humanity is has using like their smart refrigerators and everything that's networked. Uh, except he's okay. And there's sort of like a way the fax machine's a little bit like that too, right? You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong with having a completely digitally networked information system. Now, you might want to have a dusty old fax machine in the corner for the day everything just hits the fan. And then the last thing I have to say is that in 1998, I was on a different radio station. It was September of 1998, and a major contributor to the show, Bill Curry, was being a major contributor to that show. He had formerly worked in the Clinton White House. And the we, we, did, we were in a skyscraper. It was the gold building in, in downtown Hartford. And... <clears throat> The, on the day the Star Report was released, 
Um, and you, you just can't imagine what that was like anyway, the Star Report. I mean, you know, we now, I think, have a clearer idea about what presidents are like and the degree to which they are made of flesh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But just nobody ever read stuff like this. The stuff that was in the Star Report about what Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky were doing was so incredibly graphic. But anyway, the only way to get it, like, it was just coming out. And I, I was on the air. I don't know what time I was on the air, but I was on the on the air, I guess it was, I was on the air from three to six, and somebody in D.C. was faxing us the Star Report. And this is a commercial radio station. So during the commercials, we would, I would run to the fax machine. I think it might have been David Lightman, but I would run to the fax machine and get the latest, you know, eight pages that had come in while we had been on the air and run back to Curry, and we would divide them up and start reading them, and we'd just be gasping, you know. I mean, you'd just be... Chin on chest, oh my God, what's happening here? And then we talk about it on the air, and then we hit another commercial break, and I run back to the fax machine. So that's my most, I don't know, it's my most powerful memory of a fax machine. But fax machines are still around. They have a purpose. They have many purposes. We are going to be talking about some of those purposes today because we we like to talk about things that are kind of endangered species anyway. And I think it's also fair to ask how endangered things are. Well, we are very fortunate. We have sort of the go-to guy. If you're going to do a show like this, you're going to have to get Jonathan Coopersmith, professor of history at Texas A&M University and the author of Faxed, The Rise and Fall of the Fax Machine. This is kind of the definitive history uh, of the fax machine, uh, and, and it's more than just a history too. So, um, And so before we bring him aboard, let me just say also that there's a way in which the appearance of a fax machine in, say, a movie locates the moment, right? I mean, even though they've existed since, you know, in primitive form since 1840 or whatever it is, we're going to find that out in the second segment. But there really are sort of 80s and 90s, you know, that's kind of where they live is 80s and 90s is fax machines. Uh, and, and they're also, I mean, you can see them in a movie like The Insider, where I think it's the Matt, it's the Russell Crowe character who's faxing the Al Pacino character because you know, he doesn't want to be on that email system. Anyway, you can see them, but I, you know, maybe one that you all remember, uh, if you remember Back to the Future Two at all, uh, would be this exchange. It's uh, a one cat. McFly, Fujitsu-san, konnichiwa. McFly. I was monitoring that scan you just interfaced. You are terminated! Terminated? No! No! It wasn't my fault, sir! It was Needles! Needles was behind and the whole you thing! you cooperated! No, I didn't! It, uh, it was illegal. a sting operation! I was, I was, I was setting them up! Read my No! Facts. Please! No! I cannot be fired! I'm fired! Ah! So those are, those are fax machines saying you're fired. Um, all right. So Jonathan Coopersmith, welcome aboard. Uh, we want to talk about the history and the glory of the fax machine, but we'll do that a little bit later in the show. Let's address this question right now, this notion that we are talking about an endangered technological species. Uh, it's right there in the title of the book, The Rise and Fall of the Fax Machine. How, how real are the rumors of the fax machine's fall or demise? Um. They're quite real. If you look at fax use today, it's fallen greatly from its heyday in the 1990s, early 2000s. 
but it's sort of like the um, ever ready bunny. It just keeps on ticking, albeit at a much quieter, more invisible um, pace. It is a obsolete. It is a, not an obsolete technology. It is an obsolescent technology. It still works, but for most of us, there are better, cheaper, easier options. Yeah, and and we can also sometimes get a little impatient with people. I will just say that my tax preparer, who who is eighty, um, you know, he he will only communicate with me by fax or in person. He's not going to do anything digitally, and I think that has to do with his sense that he, things are not as secure on email as he would like them to be. I mean, he's not entirely alone in thinking that, right? Right. Um... It's harder to intercept a fax machine transmission than it is an email tra- tra- transmission. And indeed, one of the reasons for its longevity is um, uh, fax met um, pharmacy um, drug uh, drug sending uh, um, pres- pres- pre- prescription filling requirements and fax systems were easy to, uh, um, let me rephrase that, Um, when HIPAA requirements uh, for security of patients' medical information came out, a lot of fax uh, system providers quickly developed HIPAA-compliant systems. So you did have that sense of security. That said, you could go back to the 1990s, 2000s, and for the right price, you could buy a fax intercept machine. Right. There's actually a little interesting bit of history that even goes back further than that. Um, it's not sort of about a traditional fax machine, but in 1966, the Soviet Union puts uh, a lunar lander in a successful, the first ever successful soft landing on the moon. In other words, a landing which the craft essentially survived. Uh, and then they wanted to send pictures back to themselves, basically, back to the uh, Soviet Union. And they used a technology called radio fax. Uh, and and I, I read somewhere that uh, uh, w- this is sort of an internationally standardized technology said that once, for example, uh, Great Britain noticed what the signal was and recognized it as that internationally standardized radio fax signal, they were able to do kind of what you were just talking about, right? Intercept it and decode it. Right. Yeah, uh, which is which? Which is why, by the way, um, as early as the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, you had oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico sending encrypted uh, messages by fax to their to their corporate headquarters, so that their competitors couldn't find out what they're doing. Um, so, yeah. I mean, another value that the fax still has is. Uh, if if there's any value in a handwritten message, and if there's not enough time to use the U.S. Postal Service to send that handwritten message, I mean, now you're getting a little bit closer to something that the fax machine can kind of do in, in, uh, fairly uniquely. Uh, and it's, it's maybe one reason that in certain cultures and in certain places, harder to phase out. Yeah. If, and you see this particularly in Japan, which is a handwriting-oriented culture, and it's just very easy to end a, a culture where good calligraphy, where good hand, handwriting is prized. It's just a lot easier to dash off 
a you know to write write a short message on paper and fax it uh, than it is to use you know then to create a uh, an, an electronic message, especially among the older generation, people who didn't grow up with computers, um, and are saying why should I learn something new? Faxing works fine for me. Well, I mean there are other problems. I mean they now have a national initiative going to, to see if they could get rid of the fax machines or cut back drastically on their use of fax machines. But one of the things that's tied to it is I think there's sort of a traditional stamp, uh, not a stamp like you'd mail a letter with, but a stamp like you'd stamp a document with. I think it's called Han- Hanko, something like that. Uh, and So does not yes. And so obviously you can't, you can't put one of those physically anyway, on something that's uh, electronically or digitally transmitted. So, uh, I mean, they sort of either have, they, if they're going to phase out the fax machine, they probably need to phase out that stamp a little bit too. Or come up with another way of, of, of authenticating or, or presenting a, you know, a, for, a formal stamp. It, it can be done, but that means getting people to, getting people to change. And if something works... Why, you know, why should you try to change to something that initially is more difficult, more unfamiliar, and really upsets the established order of, of processing do- documents? Right. While we're in the general neighborhood of Asia, we should point out that in 2013, North Korea and South Korea exchanged <laughs> – I don't know why I'm laughing because they were exchanging faxed threats uh, about the idea that – well, starting with North Korea – faxing South Korea saying that you know they, they might be about to attack them, which once again seems like kind of a strange use of the fax machine, although I'm not even sure why you would even want to tell somebody you might be attacking them, but uh, there, there's something about fax machines in Asia. They're, they're sort of there and part of the conversation. Can I ask you, do you, I mean, you, you've you've t- written about this, not just in this book, but I mean, there's all articles by you all over the place. And every time one of these stories comes up, you're the first person that a journalist calls. Do you like fax machines? I like them. I, they're fascinating technology. They've been part of my family's life for decades. Do I use one? Normally, no. I don't. I don't need to. Um, uh, but that's chip. But if you'd asked me twenty years ago, faxing was essential to my academic life, um, especially communicating with Japan, but just exchanging information rapidly. Uh, but now I'm I, I use email and the web almost exclusively, but I'm also I work for a university which provides my computer, which provides my my system. Um, so and all of my colleagues um, operate by email. So there's no reason for me not to. And indeed, if I didn't, I would be viewed as a curmudgeon I am. Right. Well. Um... One thing that you just revealed is that you are not very close friends with Dolly Parton uh, because Dolly Parton famously does communicate with people by fax. In fact, Miley Cyrus was on late night television recently talking about the fact that she, although she and Dolly Parton just did some kind of high tech cell phone, I think it might have been a Super Bowl commercial for some kind of smartphone or something, that in reality, when you communicate with Dolly Parton, you do communicate by fax. And so there's kind of, I like that story too, because it's, 
you know, there's something very old fashioned about Dolly Parton. There's a way in which Dolly Parton sort of suggests to us a kind of nostalgia for the past. And, and, and I think there is now. Yeah, I, in, eight, in the 80s and 90s, fax machines were this thing that you kind of tapped your foot and you waited for the thing to come in. And it was this piece of equipment that was simultaneously miraculous and a little bit annoying. You know, and I wouldn't imagine nostalgia for fax machines to be a pop, a possible thing. Like, like in 1999, I wouldn't have thought that. But that there is sort of that happening, right? There's something kind of quaint about Dolly Parton using fax machines. But Dolly Parton is also the boss, right. so uh, she can she can fax if she if she wants, and nobody's going to say you can't do that. Um, my mother still uses the facts to communicate. She does not use a computer. Um, she doesn't She doesn't have an email account, and she can do that. Um, but if uh, Dolly Parton was working for a large or even a small organization, the rule might be, you know, we all, we all, we all communicate by fax. Um, and, you know, I, I became interested in fax machines because of my mother back in the, uh, in the in the early '90s, when she was using one to communicate with uh, uh, friends and colleagues in 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 Thailand and across the world, and I thought, "Wow, here's a machine that's so uh, so effective that you can communicate easily around the world, and yet so easy to use that my mother can handle it." Um, and <laughs> That's that became that's why I became interested in it, but because it really was such a well-designed, competent tech, technology, at least by the 1990s. Yeah, people forget that it was there was personal use. I mean, we think of it as a business machine, but in fact, um, you know, if you were any, anywhere that had a fax machine in the 80s and 90s, you'd get like Gary Larson cartoons faxed to you by some, all the things that are kind of transmitted on the internet now as jokes or memes, or you might find this entertaining or something like that. That was very much a part of fax traffic uh, back at, in, during peak fax, right? Yep. And any, and, um, uh, organ organizations quickly had to come up with what are appropriate faxing rules. And if you look at the etiquette books of the time, they're saying, all right, how do I, you know, what are the, what is, what are the society appropriate, uh, uh, socially appropriate uses of, of, of faxing? And when is a fax appropriate as opposed to sending a letter or calling someone? Uh, you know, what's the social disruption of this? Or how do we how do how do we socialize this? Right, and we should also say that you know you're talking about Dolly Parton being the boss and not being subject to the edicts of some large corporation. Any culture that relies heavily on small businesses. I mean, one of the other problems in Japan, as I understand it, is there are a lot of small businesses in Japan, and so the boss of that is mom or pop or whoever, and and they give up the fax machine when they're damn good and ready. Uh, and and I, I don't know how you seem to have a, your finger very much on the pulse of fax machines. I was even noticing in a conversation today among doctors, a couple of German doctors uh, hopping in and saying, well, if you came to Germany, uh, you'd still find you know, like a lot of medical records and, and, and drug records and stuff like that are, are being faxed. I mean, it, if you look at this internationally, I'm not sure the fax machine is phasing out as fast as it might be here. No. 
And part of the reason is uh, for a lot of people, it's just easier to use. I mean, you know, the, the important thing to think about is not just why are people still using fax machines, but why are, you know, what's the problem with the competing technologies? Um, you know, why are they so much, or why do they appear harder to use for people who say, I'd rather keep up my fax? And some of it might be, I don't want to change my ways, but a lot of it is, uh, changing to that alternative tech technology is more difficult, or it's going to be more costly, or you know, th there are you know, there are sound reasons for doing that. You know, people are not just saying, you know, I've made up my mind; I'm not moving beyond uh, 1990s technology. Although the faxes, the fax systems in 2020 are pretty impressive, they have been. You know, this is this is not my mother's fax machine. Right. Um, we should mention also that, um, like, for example, the National Health Service in the NHS uh, in, in Britain, uh, it's in, that's another place. They have they own between eight and nine thousand fax machines or they did anyway. Uh, and, and once again, they announced big wave of modernization. We're getting rid of all this stuff. It's too slow. Uh, and they didn't hit any of their targets, like their deadlines to get rid of half of them or, or whatever. But I mean, doctors and, and other health professionals were saying, well, what about the time we had the ransomware attack and we had to shut all kinds of stuff down uh, uh, and, and having fax machines available at that point actually kept us, you know, able to transmit blood records or, or, or whatever. That idea of having one in reserve, uh, particularly because there are, there are hacks, there are attacks, there are ways in which your system can, can you know, get knocked around a little bit. So having an option is maybe not a bad idea. Uh, Jonathan Cooper Smith is going to stay with us the, the entire time. Uh, so, uh, or it's, he'll be with us anyway in the next segment. So don't worry that he's going to go anywhere. But we have, we wanted to, we wanted you to meet somebody else. A couple of days I talked to Kay Savitz, a tech historian and the co-host of Antic, the Atari 8-bit podcast. They run a number of websites, including Factoy and FactsZero.com. The first thing I asked was, what exactly is Factoy? Factoy.net is a website where what you, you can use your fax machine to send a fax to our phone number, and then it takes that fax and turns it into a file and displays it on the website. And then you can go to the website and you can see all the faxes that everyone else has faxed in over the last... 16 years or so. Right. Which which I have done. I haven't read all uh, all of the ones from the past 16 years, but and to do that, you must have had to create some kind of patch, right? I mean, that isn't the way a fax machine would typically work. I can't fax my fax from the fax machine here at work to some other website. Right. Yeah, there was some some glue and some magic that I built to take a, an internet fax service that can receive faxes and it, rather than deliver it to me in my email or whatever, then it moves it along to the website and converts it to a format where it's easy to, to browse online. Do you remember why it was you wanted to do such a thing? And in particular, why you wanted to kind of open it up to the great outside world in terms of just letting them fax stuff to you? My business, for my business, I create websites. My company has more than 100 sites, and most of them are very useful to people. But occasionally, I come up with ideas that are less than useful. And it's still fun to try to create those, <laughs> even though they're maybe not be the, the best idea I've ever had. Well, they may not be perfectly useful, but somebody is making use of them, right? You've displayed more than a quarter of a million faxes during this time? Right. Some people use the site to actually for useful purposes, like testing their fax machine. They have an office fax. They need to know if it works. 
they send a fax. And if it shows up on the website, then hurrah, you can send a fax. More often than not, though, people use it for fun. Maybe they're wasting time in the office. People fax in cartoons that they drew or memes or political statements. People just send in weird papers that they find around and just send it into as a weird low res 200 DPI way to <laughs> share the documents that they, they have in their life. Right. There's a lot of prayers up there right now for some people who are faxing Yeah, right prayers. now there's prayers. There, there's there been a lot of the political stuff comes and goes from, from all sides of the aisle. And sometimes there's little wars of people faxing in their political opinions. I'm not sure that it's the best way to convince anybody of anything really via fax, but Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the way, I said more than a quarter million. I am reliably informed that it's now more than 360,000 different faxes uh, have come in to mm -hmm. your site. So, yeah, I mean, so you mentioned memes. So that's an interesting thing because a meme in that usage is a very specifically Internet thing. There's kind of almost no such thing as an analog meme. You know, it, it was it was invented for the Internet. So why would they do <laughs> is, is, is just is it just sort of a, a bullishness, a refusal, a, a kind of opting out, say, all right, you don't own my meme, Mark Zuckerberg, you can't have my meme. It's only going to be there on a fax. You know, so memes have been, I don't think they were called that then, but memes have been passed around offices via fax machines mm. and, and photocopy machines since the 1970s. People would you know share their 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 weird ideas and and sure it's it's taken on a completely new life with it with the internet meme now but you can find both kinds of those documents sent into fax zero is it any better than posting it on facebook probably not <laughs> but it's black and white so that's fun Right. There's a, sort of an obstinacy, I think, that uh, mm -hmm. that's sort of implied there. So I, I, are there, I mean, obviously, no pictures of your butt uh, can go there. Are, do you have any other rules? What, what can people send? What can they not send? We asked, I asked people to to be nice. And, and sometimes, most of the time they are. The first, the very first test fax I ever sent to it, actually, in 2006 was my hand. So that's a little bit better than my butt. Um, so yes. uh, we asked people to be polite, and uh, mostly they are. And I don't know, do you have like favorites, either things that were wonderfully, amusingly whimsical or ones that kind of touched you or anything, ones that stick in your mind for some reason? There's there's a couple of people who have been sending faxes maybe once a week for years and years, and they draw these adorable little cartoons, clearly just drawing them by hand on paper, and they fax them in. And it's just you know, little stick figures and flowers and stuff. And I love the commitment of these people who just decide to create a, a little bit of art and share it in this low-tech way. So, yeah, I mean, these this is something that's now been around a really long time, and you're still getting somewhere around 60 a day. Is this sort of something that you'll just sort of leave up? And I mean, it doesn't really, at this point, require any maintenance from you other than probably to make sure that is there's not a pentagram you know, soaked with feces or something being faxed up there. I mean, you just, other than making sure there's anything on tour, you don't really have to do anything, right? Right. I monitor it, make sure that people are fact, are, are being polite. And uh, occasionally someone will fax in something that they, some personal information hits, hits the number that really shouldn't have been faxed there. So I take it down. It kind of runs itself. Once in a while, someone will email me to say that it stopped working for it broke. And then I fix it. And then it comes along its merry way again. So 
Do you, I mean, so one thing that, if I understand the technology here, one thing that you don't need is a fax machine, right? These are people faxing to you, but it's kind of flying up onto the internet. Do you own a fax machine? Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That was exactly what I wanted you to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Well, this is fascinating. And so thanks for sharing it all with us. Kay Savitz is a tech historian. They host Antic, the Atari 8-Bit podcast, and run a number of websites, including Factstoy and FactZero.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. What you talking about, Wallace? Hi, Michael. How Hi. are you? I'm well. How are you? Very good. So, listen, as you know, we haven't yet filled the regional supervisor job. Oh, have you not? Correct. And I was wondering if I could get you to do some of the field work that would normally go to the supervisor. Okay, there's an area from Carbondale to Marshbrook where we've never done any business. There's a small company there, Prince Paper. I can't get a report on it because it's not a public company. Mm -hmm. But we've been talking about going after their market, so I was hoping you could do some fact-finding for me. Okay. I'll fax over some of the things we're looking for, okay? Fax? Why don't you just send it over on a dinosaur? <laughs> this is important, Michael. Oh, well, then email it, David. So there you go. More uh, more trash talk about the facts. Uh, we don't do that here on the show. We are fascinated by fax machines, about, by their persistence, and about the role they may still have to play in our lives. With us is Jonathan Coopersmith, uh, professor of history at Texas A&M University and the author of really the definitive book about this, Faxed, The Rise and Fall of the Fax Machine. So... Now it's time to talk about the invention of the fax machine, uh, which is kind of the whole whole thing that got me interested in this a couple of years ago. Uh, And I know you can start a huge fight in a bar room based on who you say invented the fax machine. Is it Bain? Is it Corelli? Just explain to people how the fax machine could have been and was invented before there were phone lines. Okay. And by the way, a very good bar bet is asking people, when do you think the fax machine was first invented? <laughs> you know, before you became interested, if you were asked, what would, what would, what would you have said? I certainly wouldn't. I, I would have assumed that it was after widespread adoption of telephone technology. So I certainly would have put it somewhere in the 20th century. And I probably would have put it, you know, sort of somewhere near the end of World War II or something. That's how dumb I am. 
No, no, that shows no, that that that's the standard answer from from people who said, wow, it's coming to my, my, my life now in the 1980s. And they said, well, about a quarter of a century for a new new technology. So 1940s, 50s. And when I tell them that the first patent was in 1843, you know, you can you can you can see the you can see the, the jaws drop. But that's because. Uh, we think of fax machines as being used by uh, on on telephone systems. In reality, they were first invented by Alexander Bain, or first patent, uh, to use as a way of sending image by a telegraph. Um, with the idea being that, oh wow, offices would really like this because they could send exact, they could send signatures, they could send exact letters, so much better than a telegraph, which also in the 1830s, 1840s, is in its formative, gosh, what is this going to become stage? We should say Bain was a Scot. Uh, I am contractually um, obligated by my mother-in-law to say anytime Scots do contribute anything to civilization, which d- doesn't, no. doesn't keep me that busy, but, you know, I do have to say it. No, not only that, a Scotsman who was finding uh, success in London and came up, by the way, with a chemical telegraph uh, system, which proved far more financially feasible than, than, than a fax system did, but also uh, demonstrates how just international the development of fax machines, like a lot of other te- technologies, was. Yeah, and we should say, actually, we have uh, an entire separate show about the telegraph that's in the works. Uh, I think after Jonathan McPants, the producer of this episode, after he corners the market on thermal paper, he's going to uh, work on the telegraph show. But um, uh, so, the, and it really does illustrate the importance of the telegraph. But yeah, I mean, it's dem- the 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 invention is ultimately demonstrated for Napoleon the Third, and and I think I'm correct about that thing about uh, Tsar uh, Alexander, right? He's got a fax machine. Yeah. Well, his minions have a fax machine. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, far be from the czar to, to dignify that. But yeah, no, um, the, the first actual commercial system is set up in, in Paris in the 1860s. Um, and it's uh, by a Florentine, an, an Italian working, working in Paris, um, Caselli. And it works, you know, you can send images but it works really slowly. It doesn't make money. Indeed, it loses a lot, a, a lot of money, and partly because uh, it's so slow to send the to actually send an image because you have to physically scan every every line, and um, uh, what you have to do, you know, which means there has to be, you know, the 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 type or the message is actually raised from the from the um, from the piece of um, foil hold holding so it's slow and it turns out by this time telegraph is well enough developed that people have come up with ways of say authenticating a signature or um or creating some kind of code so that you don't have to pay as much so you know, you know the fax works but it's more expensive less convenient and slower than a telegraph, so it really doesn't take off there. So we're going to jump ahead here. We should say that fax technology didn't really grow by leaps and bounds. It kind of uh, took a while to percolate or 
ferment or something. Uh, but uh, as we move into the first half of the 20th century, uh, well, right away, one group of people or one group of institutions very interested in technology like this would be newspapers because newspapers are starting to get their, art, starting to get their articles via telegraph. But of course, they would also like pictures too. So, so how does that work? It, uh, the key technology here with the with the with the with the um, newspaper is you instead of physically scanning a image or a letter in the 1860s is that you now have photo cells that can scan it electronically that can scan it just uh, opt- optically so it becomes much it becomes much faster and you can then send tones also which for pictures is really important and newspapers are willing to pay a premium to have an image, to have to have the latest news available, um, and they're willing to willing and do pay a, a lot more a lot more money. Um, and sometimes they're sent by telegram, uh, telegraph. Sometimes, increasingly, they're being sent a bit slowly by t- by telephone. Uh, because there's more, there's more bandwidth available, and you, again, um, you see in this case a German, a German inventor working with British, French, and German new, newspapers to create an international service, and getting the um, the public telephone and telegraphy serv- uh, uh, services to agree to send one of these images because to send an image then took about 30 minutes or more, which in that same time, you could send a lot of uh, telegraph messages. So they had to have special arrangements with the uh, telegraph and telephone agencies. So uh, just to get a sense of how this even kind of creeps into popular culture, uh, we've got the movie Call North Side 777, uh, 1948 noir uh, newspaper uh, story uh, about a wrongful conviction case with Jimmy Stewart and Lee J. Cobb. Uh, Kat, let's hear B2. Now, if I do prove that that photograph was taken on the 22nd of December, how about that? What then? In that event, Mr. McNeil... We might be obliged to render a favorable decision. Now, if the enlarging process... Yes, I know, but how long will this take? As soon as the enlargement is developed, they're going to send it over the wire photo system from the Chicago Times to the Illinois State Journal, which is just a few blocks down here. Are you clear to Springfield? Yes, sir, the wire's open. Well, hold it open. I'll have the picture in a minute. (coughs) Ask them if they're ready. Springfield, are you ready for this picture? We're ready. Okay, here's the final lineup. Okay. There, it's beginning to come through. Now, what's the date? There it is. December 22nd. 22nd of December. There it is. So, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we're sending pictures around. And, I mean, I think it's easy to forget in the age that we live in Jonathan Cooper Smith, how wondrous this would have been, this notion that a picture could travel a long distance uh, in, you know, a relatively short amount of time. Uh, really, really wondrous, it, it, uh, especially if you compare, in, in some, some cases, sending the picture was part of the, was part of the story. But, you know, by the 1940s, 1950s, it's commonplace 
thanks to AP, AP wire photo spreading. And um, by the way, there's some opposite, there, there, there's a lot of opposition by, by some newspapers to the idea in the 1930s. These tend to be smaller um, papers, but it's saying, look, this is gonna cost us a lot of money to install, but, um, and it's just gonna save a day or two, but if we don't do it, we're, you know, our competitors are going to do this. So all you're doing is you're just equalizing or causing all of us to, to spend more money, but they're forgetting that um, they were selling more papers because people wanted the latest pictures. So we're, we're almost out of time in this segment, but we should probably say something about the use of fax machines by the military, especially during World War II. These were not high-speed fax machines, right? These are, once again, as you're saying, maybe might be waiting for 30 minutes to, to, get, to get the thing. That's, but compared to the alternatives of sending a plane to fly, to fly something or something, and the military could do it because it's willing to spend the money, just like news, news, newspapers. This is why the military is often a promoter or early promoter, early user of new technologies. It's got the resources and the need that more, um, more profit-minded or organizations don't. All right, we're going to have to stop here. Uh, we have one more story to tell you uh, towards the end of the show here. Jonathan Coopersmith is professor of history at Texas A&M University and the author of Facts, The Rise and Fall of the Facts Machine. And believe me, there was plenty more that we could have talked about, had time permitted. Uh, but thanks for what we did talk about. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll tell you about some pretty contemporary use of a fax machine. And we're back. Uh, time to say thank you to Kat Pastor, our technical producer, uh, and also to Jonathan McPants, uh, who is the producer of this particular episode and the Telegraph episode to come. I mean, eventually, the good news about all these shows that we do about things that are kind of in their declining orbits is you'll be able to get all of them at Urban Outfitters, you know, in the very near future. <laughs> future. So whatever we don't have right this second will be reissued in a kind of more nostalgic form uh, in the very near future. So if, if fax machines go away, don't worry. Wait about two years and, you know, then go down to, you know, the East Village and go to Urban Outfitters and there will be one. All right. Now, here to talk about using fax machines right now for the sake of activism is Troy Kreiner, the design director at Use All Five, the firm that organized something called Artifacts. Uh, and first of all, welcome to our conversation. Hi there. Thanks so much, Robert. And so explain, maybe the first thing to do is to explain what Artifacts is. Uh, what, what is it that you're doing? Yeah, Artifacts is a, a project that was organized by Use All Five to connect people to their elected representatives. And it began as a tool to urge Congress to protect the national endowment of the arts. Um, but we've been inspired since then to expand it, to be able to fax your, your local representative about any issue you wish. But essentially, you go to a website, artifacts.us, and you can pick an artwork and um, you fill out a form that puts in your, your zip code so you can prove you're a, a constituent, and then it will serve up your local rep representative. And you can customize a message or kind of use one of our pre-filled messages if you prefer and uh, send a fax through a website. Right. I believe our producer of this episode, Jonathan McPants, 
did exactly that. So uh, he's ready to fax Vice President Kamala Harris, our two U.S. Senators, Chris Murphy and Richard Blumenthal, and his U.S. Rep. Rosa DeLauro. Um, and and so, yeah, we should just go back to the origins. This did start, I think, in 2017. It was over the NEA budget. And so why why do it this way? I mean, you can email Chris Murphy. You can there's a lot of ways you can reach out uh, to your member of Congress. Why use the fax machine? Totally. Yeah. At, at that time, you know, there is such a barrage of issues going on. But the NEA really spoke to us as a lot of our clients as a studio are in the arts and culture space. And a lot of us art, uh, you know, come from art backgrounds. And so um, we we chose facts because we were seeing that everyone was kind of up in arms about, you know, the, the voicemails being full and the, the email boxes being full and the auto responses. And it, it kind of felt like you would hit this wall. Um, and we internally had a meeting and we're like, what can we do? And we remembered when we saw that all the contact information for each um, congressperson, there, there's a fax number. And so we thought about like, well, what if we could send faxes? And so we did some research on the technology of like how to actually do that and make that process easy. Because, you know, a lot of us don't have fax machines. Like none of us, I think, in the office do. And none of my friends do. Maybe some like older people that we know do. But ultimately, um, we, we found an API, this technology that allows us to, to pull the information from each uh, office and, and the fax number and allow, allowed us to kind of seamlessly, you know, send these uh, artifacts, the, these, uh, these art messages to, to, to your congresspeople. So, and, and I think part of the, the theory here is, too, that, you know, an email, I mean, an email is relatively easy to ignore, but a fax because it is a physical reality to it, somebody has to do something about it. <laughs> There's going to be a piece of paper sitting there at some point that sure. somebody's going to have to deal with. Maybe you can say a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. And what, what we learned is that there's actually, we haven't found, and maybe it's changed, but we haven't found any data around like exactly what office has a physical fax machine versus like an updated version that converts right. to a digital message. So it's kind of unclear which one's, will actually be physical versus like a digital translation. But ultimately the idea of like another way to contact your congressperson is like was appealing to us. And 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 also this technology that seems, you know, out of date that can actually be like a, a another means to to give something physical, like an artwork or a message or kind of, you know, this um, political statement. So if you do this now, you you can um uh, you, you can write a message. Um, you can also choose pre-written messages, and then art to go with it uh, about a variety of topics, Black Lives Matter, border separation, Supreme Court, stuff like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And some are like more uh, literal in what the message and title is. Some are a bit more abstract and expressive. So it really is up to the person sending the message kind of what art they want to go with it. And we have a lot of, of options you can pick from. We also do have a contribution section on the site where you can submit an artwork if you want. Um, but there, there's a lot to choose from. So, uh, yeah, say a little bit more about that idea of contributing an artwork. In other words, somebody can make uh, their own submission that either they'll use or other people might use? Exactly, yeah. We have like a form where you can fill out your name, email, the title of your artwork, and then there's some um, specifications for the artwork, like a JPEG file, the size of eight and a half by six and a half inches, the DPI, and, and making it black and white. And so some people follow it, some people don't. We can update it, but um, ultimately um, we review it together and, and we don't have like a hard and fast rule of like what will make it and what won't. 
Um, but ultimately, is it, if it feels like it's in line with the rest of, of, of the work on the, on the website, then it will easily get added. When we were discussing this uh, episode yesterday, uh, our senior producer, Lily Tyson, who despite her title is actually very youthful, it turned out she didn't know anything about fax machines. She'd, <laughs> she'd never used one of them. Uh, and one question she said, like, does it cost money? Um, well, it doesn't really cost money, except kind of if you do it at the level you guys are doing at it, if you, you've sent more than 22,000 faxes, it does cost a penny or two, right? Definitely. And that we really, it was important to us, especially as a design studio, that this was like kind of a seamless experience and that people felt like it was just easy to contact their Congress people without these obstacles in the way, even down to like costing and like having to put, you know, your, your, uh, your money uh, into the system. So they, we, we cover the cost of every fax. I believe it's like around two cents a fax, mm-hmm. but you know, when you start hitting tens of thousands of of messages, it, de- it definitely does add up, but it's something as a as a studio we feel is worth contributing uh, to to the public. Have you gotten any feedback from the other end? I mean, does this congressional staffer or somebody has anybody ever said to you, "Wow, that was different"? You know, we haven't, and we've been wanting it. So if anyone's <laughs> out there and they and they hear this, we want to know. Uh, we'd love to we'd love to hear from any staffer if, if they get it, but we we haven't heard from anyone directly yet. Um, just the people who have been sending the messages. So, so what keeps you going? I mean, I don't know. You've been doing this for a few years now. Um, it must be a little bit frustrating not to know whether it, it has the impact you want it to have. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's it, it's something that we can just keep up and, and maintain. It's a kind of a light maintenance and ultimately like getting artists to, to create artworks that they can be sending out and, and creating this flow is, is worthwhile enough for us. And obviously we want this to actually change policy, uh, that would be the best outcome of this. It's, it's, we just haven't figured out a way to like get the, you know, exact correlation of, of how that would happen. Um, all right. Well, listen, uh, it's called Artifacts. Uh, we'll put some stuff uh, up on our uh, webpage to make sure that you know how to do it. So, yeah, I mean, join the resistance. Fax the power. Uh, Troy Kreiner is design director at Use All Five, a firm that organized uh, Artifacts. Thanks for talking to me. And thanks to all of you who listen to this show. We are fascinated by, you know, technology is kind of in decline, but uh, we're also fascinated by nostalgia. Even like to eat the type of food I like to eat. We could be soulmates down on paper, but I don't feel the butterflies when I date you. No, I don't feel the butterflies. What's with that girl? Don't feel the butterflies. What's with that girl? Don't feel the butterflies. What's with that girl? Don't feel the butterflies. You like a facsimile of my ideal girlfriend. You're not the one that I compromise. You're like a facsimile. Perfect that I want. What the fuck?